Hi, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, I'm joined by Nate Winkle, president of PlayerMaker North America. Nate discusses his youth, collegiate, and pro career and playing overseas. He also talked about his company, PlayerMaker, whose product is a wearable player development system that is used to track and improve performance. This is an incredible device, and Nate has provided one for us to give away to a lucky listener. Please visit matchplay underscore recruit on Instagram and follow us. A winner will be picked on December 31st. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. Uh, Nate, uh, tell me a little bit about how you grew up playing soccer, where you were, and, and um, where all that led as you kind of went through playing as a kid and, and um, yeah. Tell me yeah, what happened. For sure. So an 80s kid, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure like some flyer came home, you know, from kindergarten because that's around when I started playing and said mm-hmm. soccer was an option. I went out, <clears throat> really enjoyed it. Had some really, like, I still fondly remember some of the teammates and coach and the coach from like that first soccer team that I played on actually. Uh, so I had a good experience, showed a bit of talent. I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, so like ice hockey is kind of king there. And I also grew up playing ice hockey around maybe 12 or 13 years old. We lived across the street from a soccer field, like a big, uh, there was a baseball field, like a big park and lots of teams were practicing there. I was like tiny, like absolutely tiny. So my freshman year in high school, I was four foot 10, 78 pounds, um, and so hockey was like, that was becoming a bit of a challenge. I was like good, like playing in travel teams and stuff like that. But at the same time, like starting to, we started to hit and I was starting to get knocked around a bit. And there was this men's league team um, that came and practiced and it was called Internationals FC. And there was like very few Americans on the team. And in the eighties in Minnesota, like soccer still wasn't cool. Like you sort of got made, lots of kids played it, but at the same time you would sort of like get made fun of. It wasn't like the cool thing to do. Right. But these guys sort of recognize, I would be out playing roller hockey, roller hockey in the streets or kicking a soccer ball around. And eventually one of these guys who I'm still friends with today, actually, his name's Ted Creighton sort of took an interest and was like, come over here and play some soccer with us. Um, and then, and they were the best men's league team in the state at the time, like playing at like a pretty reasonable level. But the guys were like, this kid's pretty good. Like, let's let him practice with us. And I was only like 12 or 13 years old. And that became, and then at that same field, I met a guy who's also like still a really close with me today named David Lawson, who was coaching a youth club, was the director of a youth club. And he invited me to play on like his U16 select team, which is like a big jump up. And I was still this tiny little like 12 or 13 year old kid, like looked way out of place. But between those sort of two interactions that happened at that field, we started to train with this men's league team and finding like a really good coach and David. I just like fell in love with soccer in a way that I necessarily had it before. And all these foreign guys were t- you know, telling me about foreign leagues and talking about it and excited about it. And I started to feel really cool because I was playing up with other people. So I was really inspired to get good. Great for my confidence. 
Um, and I then uh, ended up playing in high school, you know, like played on the varsity team as a freshman, was playing on these select teams, played ODP. Um, and then college recruiting came around. Um, I didn't have uh, like a ton of people around me that helped me navigate that process very well, actually. And now a guy who's like my best friend um, and was like a competitor of mine, basically played at a rivals high school was the one that sort of stepped in and like taught me like, just because you play ODP and stuff like that doesn't mean you're going to get a scholarship. And I was definitely in a position where I needed a scholarship to like fund college. Mm -hmm. But I sort of thought it was going to come to me because I was playing at a pretty good level. Um, and he stepped in and helped me like create a VHS highlight tape, like at his high school. Like I went to his high school and like used the editing equipment that he didn't want to use. Created this tape, got my name out there, and I ended up going to the University of Maine, uh, like on a, on a Division One scholarship. Um, again was tiny so i think like at the time at preseason they did a weigh-in and i was maybe like the smallest one of the smallest male division one athletes ever in the conference so it was like I'd, by that point in time i'd worked myself up to 118 pounds <laughs> um as a college freshman um out of sort of not a super great freshman season like struggled with the physicality of it um a little bit mentally too like not being good anymore so i sort of started playing by the end of the season but i didn't get like i didn't travel for the first trip which was like devastating um and then had a good sophomore season um and was maybe not loving the university like the whole environment like it was it was good but attracted enough attention and from ex-teammates and stuff like that that were like that I decided to transfer and I went to Marquette university, um, and played there. Um, also like, I guess you'll learn in a second here that I ended up playing pro, but that didn't go that great either. We like came in with, they had made the NCAA tournament the year before I knew some guys on the team. We had like a top 10 recruiting class back in soccer America, the old newspaper that would come out. Um, and a good friend of mine was, um, that I roomed with that was sort of a big reason why I transferred Donnie Mark was like the conference USA freshman of the year, first team all conference. And our coach sort of kind of didn't know what to do with the new type of players that he had. A bunch of people came in that really wanted to like, he was an English guy and we wanted to sort of get on the ball and, and play. And the fallout was, is that over those next two years, a lot of the guys that were on scholarship, like didn't play very much. And a lot of guys that were sort of walk-ons came in that were maybe a little bit more, the style of play that our old coach was sort of uh, comfortable with. So Donnie actually transferred and, uh, and won, went to two final fours and won a national championship with UConn. Uh, and, but in our time, like his sophomore year, the year that I transferred my junior year, like he barely played for us to sort of put in perspective, sort of like it ended up being sort of a, not the best choice for me in terms of like where I tr transferred to. Mm -hmm. um, but I had a great, PDL season. I played for the Twin City Tornadoes back in the old PDL, like the summer before my senior year, and was like one of the top goal scorers and like point getters, like assists and goals in the country. Um, and had been practicing with a local like Minnesota pro team that was there back in the day, Minnesota Thunder, and sort of came across their radar. So I got drafted, had an awesome rookie season, like to play a bunch. We went to the, we won the league and went to the, like the championship final played against Rochester in front of like 15,000 or maybe even like 18,000 people. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, played there for a couple of seasons and then basically bounced around professionally from within the sort of USL also played in Sweden for a couple of seasons 
um, and then sort of ended up finishing my career down in New Zealand after like a sports journey operation. So over the next seven years, like this is early 2000s, like making a, making a living, enjoying, you know, enjoying things, but never, like I was never a league all-star. I never like really sort of took off uh, in terms of my playing to reach the potential that I, that I hoped I would, but obviously had like a, a, a blast playing and had some like amazing experiences. So Cool. Yeah, I've been um, going for a while. I'll stop now. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to uh, dig into there. Um, you know, I, I might just go back to, well, first of all, you never sought warmth when you were going to play soccer. I mean, you were Minnesota. So, you know, you wouldn't have known what to do with yourself if you were ended up down in like, uh, you know, Southern California or something. Um, no, for sure. But uh, maybe that was my mistake. Maybe that's what I should have factored into it. <laughs> right. so, um, so, yeah, uh, talk about, you know, you go back to what you remember anyways um, of your recruiting process and kind of how that went. And, you know, were you reaching out to coaches? Were they reaching back out to you? You know, what was that kind of back and forth like? And, you know, what were you thinking at that time for sure as you went through it um i mean this is a long time ago now so it's i think some things will be relevant for today's recruits but some things won't i mean there was a a book you can buy i think in eurosport that had like like all every college coaches like phone number and email address in it um, mm -hmm. the internet wasn't really a thing this is like 1995 1996 in terms of being sort of readily available mm -hmm. um and that's um, not something way, that I was to, sort of to cut in real quick. Yeah, just to cut in real quick, so that Eurosport is soccer dot com now. So just so yes. all those yeah. youngsters out True. there, um, we used to get this fantastic yeah. catalog. It was it was awesome. But go ahead, <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I wasn't like sort of switched on to the fact that I needed to be proactive. I, I think the big summary is like. I was since I played ODP and since I was in some club teams, I got some letters from schools and some big schools, you know, like back then, like Maryland, or there's still big schools now, but like Maryland, Creighton, St. John's University. So I was thinking, like, well, if these schools are interested in me, like, naively, first of all, like, which one, like, I'm going to go to one of these. And, mm -hmm. and the sort of worst case scenario, that means that all these other schools that aren't sort of like in the top 20 D2 schools are like, I'm going to have no problem was sort of my, like my, it's my junior year in high school. I start to get these letters from these schools. And so I think like, I'm set, like it's, this is no, mm -hmm. no sweat. Um, but I wasn't doing anything about it. They, they sent like forms for you to fill. They were like paper forms that like recruiting forms that they asked you to like fill back out with your height and weight and like all states and get a little bit more information on you. I, I might've got a few phone calls from some people that talked about the, to talk about things, but there really wasn't much actioning happening, but I wasn't sort of smart enough or informed enough to realize that like that was a problem. Right. So then my senior year in the fall, we play against that friend of mine, Misha Sher, um, who um, is like, how's your recruiting? Like, how's the recruiting stuff coming? Like, how's your recruiting visits? Like, I was just, uh, I think he'd like, just been on a visit to like a fairly Dickinson University. And I'm like, oh, that sounds yeah. sort of cool. And I'm like, if, like, I don't know. And he's like, well, and we weren't really friends at the time. We were sort of like teammates and competitors. He's mm -hmm. like, well, have you like, made a highlight tape? Like, have you, you know, drafted a letter to email to these people? Like, are you, I'm like, no, he's like, well, you need to do that. Like, if you need help, I can help you. And I'm like, well, I definitely need help because I didn't even know I was supposed to. So then I basically started doing that stuff, like thinking about how to market myself to people. Um, 
made the highlight tape, emailed some schools, started reaching back, looking up those letters and being proactive with people. And then eventually got to, you know, sort of a point where uh, I thought went on some recruiting visits and got to a point where I got an offer from Maine that I was excited about and, and took. So yeah, yeah. I, mean, it's still- I guess the less the lesson in that is like, it, like this is not uh, a one way process. Like you yeah. need to really be proactive in it. Yeah. And you, you used a, uh, the right word in my mind, like you have to market yourself and you have to yeah. kind of be your, be your own entrepreneur and you're, you're trying to sell your, your wares, so to speak. Um, For sure. But, uh, yeah. I mean, so maybe uh, also talk about, you know, some of your pro experiences and um, you know, what the, like, well, no, let me go back to um, your freshman year in college when you were, you were struggling a little bit mentally and, you know, how you, you know, came to the realization that you needed to change thing, the way you approach things mentally, probably to, to just yeah. survive, you know? Yeah. I think there's, there's a couple of aspects to it in hindsight. I, so by <clears throat> the end of my, like I said, like being small was like a thing for me. You know what I mean? Like uh, it wasn't something that like was just in my head. It was like a, a reality and B something that lots of people talked about. And it was sort of like, you're good, but you're never going to make it because they're too small sort of a thing. Right. And somewhere along the line, for whatever reason, my sort of uh, reaction to that was really to sort of like double down or like on the stuff that I was good at. So like, as opposed to being like, okay, I'm short and like skinny, but like I could become like stronger and faster, or mm-hmm. um, I could sort of embrace the defensive side of the ball, become a bit of a two more player. Like the thing that made me good that coach, why coaches were interested in me. I was like, I was quite technical. I could hit good. Like I could hit free kicks and corners. I could take people on one-on-one and like create opportunities off the dribble and great goal scoring opportunities. Um, and so I really sort of leaned into that from a young age and had a, like relative to my peers, like quite a good level. And that's what got me to the places. And it was, so when I got that kickback, I sort of did more of the same. Like I was like, it's Maine, so it's cold in the winter. But even then during that season, I was like waking up early and in the ball court, similar technique and stuff like that. Now I remember so specifically at the end of the season, sort of like a lot of kids that are freshmen, if your coach isn't playing you, you think the problem's with the coach, right? Um, and he sat me down and drew on the whiteboard, like a pie graph, basically a big circle and divided it into four areas. And was like, look, here's what it takes to make a good soccer player. There's a technical aspect, there's a tactile aspect, there's a physical part, and there's a mental part. He's like, your technical aspect is already good enough like to play pro. It was like the year that MLS started. He's like, I've been to the MLS, like, that's fine. But he's like, but these other areas are so weak and like you need to work on them. In hindsight, I found a way like to sort of lean into maybe a little bit of the mental stuff. And my old way of doing things was just to like be good at the stuff that I was good at. And I worked my way into the team. But in hindsight, and I heard that, I'd heard this in a different version. I've heard heard that same stuff in high school and I continued to hear it all the way through my pro career. Like you need to be more of a two-way player. You need... So as opposed to in the off season, like, lifting weights and getting excited about it i was like embarrassed because i could like barely bench press like you know like 85 pounds or something like that and i would like skip no. the weight i would honestly like i there was times where i would like not go to the weight training session because i was just like embarrassed and didn't want to deal with it and i would no. think to myself like why is the coach not telling this you know this guy that's starting all the time that can't complete a punch to get in the racquetball court and like pass the ball i think i had a no. bit of the wrong mentality about it 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of managed to dig myself out of the hole. But in hindsight, I would have, I should have been at the weight room twice a day, as opposed to like skipping the session. And I w- would have had a much yeah. better career. Uh, I think a lesson in that is like, that I've tried to check is like really being a lot more open-minded and trying to learn things and like not think mm-hmm. things have things figured out, uh, which I yeah. think sometimes young people can uh, have a tough time sort of getting out of their own thing. Yep. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, I mean, these are all like still relevant lessons, you know, you know, yeah. uh, t- just a few years ago, it's, but it's still the same thing. Like, um, yeah. you know, knowing, doing your research on the school before you engage with them and then, you know, listening to the coach and being coachable and, um, you know, understanding where your deficiencies are and, you know, your opportunity to improve. So, I mean, those, yeah. those lessons yeah. last through life, right? So, yeah, for yeah. sure. So, yeah, I mean, what other, uh, you know, interesting stories do you have from your pro career and, you know, interesting people and places and, you know, yeah. frustration I mean, for, for, for not having, for not having like a, a super, um, you know, like a, some fantastic relative to other pros. It's not like, you know, I played in the Premier League or anything like that, but along the way I got to play against some, like some big time players. So I think it's like three FIFA World Player of the Years. So we played against Christo. When I was with Minnesota, we played against Christo Stoichkov when he was with the Chicago Fire, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, then when, another time when I went back to Minnesota towards the end of my career, Romario was playing in the league and Zinho. Um, mm-hmm. And then I played against George Weah, um, like with the Liberia. We had a, a Liberian player on our team. And then we played an exhibition team against them as they were like trying to qualify for the World Cup. Um, and I got to play against uh, times. Once, actually, in hindsight, I found out when he was in a youth tournament. Like I, no one knew who Zlatan was, but we played against him actually at the USA Cup in Minnesota. Okay. And then while I was playing in Sweden, there was a guy on my team that was like, we came to Minnesota and did this thing. And I think I remember playing against like, you know, a team that was, I was like, I was on that team. And he's like, and you know, who else was on my team was, was Zlatan. So that was cool to play against some, some good players. Um, Playing in Sweden. And I think it was 2003 was not super normal. Like there was like a, uh, you know, sort of a Yanks abroad website that was tracking players that were playing overseas, like Americans that were overseas. And that wasn't a very long list. Like I definitely less than a hundred and maybe even closer right. to 50. Um, so even though it was the second division, it still felt like amazing. Like I had to get a passport, you know, to sort of get there. I had never been out of the country mm-hmm. um, and went and played in tiny little right. stadiums um, at a level that was, um, that was good. But the sort of cultural experience uh, was was it was even better. Uh, and there was another American over there with me, yeah. Jeremiah Bass, who was a good friend, and that was that was a blast. Like spending time with him, and um, so yeah, definitely the life experience I gained uh, through soccer was was amazing. And then in the end, getting a chance to go to New Zealand, as I ended up uh, spending some time in Shanghai, China, as well, um, and then finished up in New Zealand, where I sort of fell in love with the country, fell in love with. The woman who's now my wife had our first child there, so it's been a it's been a special journey, like beyond just the stuff that happened on the field, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's so soccer opened up a bunch of doors for you and created different experiences, I and mean, it's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about um, you know the difference in just the culture, you know, playing in Europe, and you know why is it so difficult for 
Americans to to break in over there, or you know, especially maybe it's not as difficult anymore because yeah. we're being recognized as you know better soccer players. But you know, back then, why was it so difficult? And and talk about just the difference in level that you yeah. saw. So you know, I also I ended up then moving from playing into a role as a, the executive and technical director at what is now called Olay Football Academy in New Zealand. And so in that role, I had to, uh, it was sort of started from scratch essentially. And the, and the, uh, the plan was, is like, Nate, come in here and figure out how to create a program, a pathway for more New Zealand kids to go to the U.S. university on scholarship. Like that's why they picked me is because I was like somebody who sort of spent some time in New Zealand, but they had connections and could train some soccer players, but also navigate, navigate like this recruiting process. So I've had to spend a lot of time thinking about, I spent six years thinking about like, how do you create players and what's the differences and how do culture environments like change things. And I guess I would say the, one of the biggest differences, I think for a long time, and it still exists within some U.S. structures, it's been eliminated a little bit at the top with some of the MLS stuff, is the fluidity in which players can move through the environment. Obviously, Europe was a little bit advanced in terms of like coaching, playing level and things like that. But also like at the academy in New Zealand or in Sweden, for example, if you're a 13-year-old at Malmo's Academy and if you were a 13-year-old at Olay Football Academy, we had a facility where everybody came and trained if that 13 year old was like really physically advanced and therefore that's the reason he was good in his, his or her like U13 team, we could quite easily like plug them in to play with U14s or U15s without having to like deal with registrations and payment and things like that. Um, here in the US, I think this idea that you sort of just get locked, like you're playing for a club, but like you're really just playing for a team within that club, like oftentimes. People train at different places. No, he's paid to play here. No, the rules don't want you to play up or play down. I think this like element of fluidity that was like sort of naturally built into like European and South American academies of like, let's find the right level for you to develop within. And that might not be the same team or the same game like every day. And it doesn't change on the year. It changes by the week based on performance is one sort of combined with the whole promotion relegation, like Darwinian aspect of like European soccer, just mm -hmm. like made for almost like more Darwinian results. Like it was sort of the system had been designed to let the cream rise to the top as opposed to this sort of like fixed you, you practice on this day and this day and you pay this much money and this is your coach and let's reevaluate in a year. I think that's like one of the biggest differences like in the two systems that sometimes people don't think about. Right. And, and do you, how far away do you think American, like the American system is from? I think it's come a long way. It's like incredible. Like all things around, I think like U.S. soccer is, of course there's, always i mean there's some things to complain about like you know us missing a world cup or an olympics and and you know, national team performing better but like on the on the whole i think the progress that this country is making is incredible like women's pro league men's pro league um the quality of youth players the changes that people are making to make more fluid environments mls being free and you know so it's not all pay to play everywhere anymore right. i think in general like we're those of us that are fans would all like for it to go better. And I think there's some people that can get um, 
yeah, real sort of negative and find all the holes in it and stuff like that. And those people are, that's part of like progressing it forward. But these days for me, I'm the coach of my son's 2015 boys Academy team at, at Colorado Rush. But in general, I'm like, my sort of view on U.S. soccer is really positive. Like I sort of, I just think it's amazing to see what's happening in MLS and NWSL and all these players playing in Europe. And of course it can be better, but I don't sort of, maybe live in it every day. It's not my life anymore. So maybe I'm not as close to the problems, but from where I sit, it's like, I feel proud and happy of the progress we're making at a macro level. Yeah. Um, so at some point you retire in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so fast forward to today and you are heading up um, a company called Player Maker. Um, yep. And in the U.S. and there, it's a it's a London-based, England-based company, right? Yeah, head office in Tel Aviv, Israel, but also oh, offices okay. in the U.K. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I want to get into what that product is, um, and you know how it's helping, especially the youth players. Um, and then I also want to get into how it can be used as a tool in recruiting, um, how you can yeah. You yeah. demonstrate who you are. Um, so yeah, so talk about the company, what the product is, and and uh, we'll go from there. For sure. So PlayerMaker is like the world's first and only foot-worn wearable player development system. So it's a couple of rubber straps that you put on your soccer shoes that have sensors inside them. And those sensors are measuring like physical, technical, and tactical performance. So everything from you know, how far you ran, what your top speed was, how many times you sprinted, how many times you turned, to how many touches you had, right and left foot, how many passes, which area of the foot you're kicking the ball with, how fast those the kicking velocity was, and playing tempo, time on ball. Um, if everybody's wearing them within a team, you can see like pass completion and loss and regain stuff. So it's a really, really unique product. Um, and I think that beyond just the ability of player maker to measure things physical performance is something that's been measured for a while right like everybody's seen the gps vest that people wear now we've sort of broken the mold and can do technical stuff and we can do tactical stuff but but i don't think that player maker should be viewed as like a a better and or different version of gps you know i think gps is like it spits out data that's used by when it's used well, like used by sports scientists and people that really understand that and a little bit of like a high level tool. Whereas player maker long-term, the vision is, is that it's not a place that measures performance. It's a place where players come to get better. It provides inspiration. It provides information. There's content, there's challenges, there's partnerships like we have with Manchester city and in the future, other clubs or players or leagues where you come to find out how to be better. And that's more than just like looking at your data after just to see how far or faster. That's like the starting point for it. But long term, we want to build a, you know, a platform and a community of for players, parents and coaches. But it's really player centric where players can own the journey. It works indoor. It works outdoor. You can use it when you're playing for your high school team. It's not like something that the coach brings in from practice. You, you take ownership over it. And you can mm -hmm. wear, you know, you can wear the device and be a subscriber from the time you're seven years old all the way until you, you know, sort of play the college. So, right. So, yeah. what kind of information? So, it, obviously, you said it's it's um, you know distance covered and and um, touches and 
pass, yeah. you know, I guess if everybody's wearing one, then you can measure pass completion, yeah. that sort of thing. Yep. Um, so yeah, the, the words that you said were player development program, which I want to yeah. like understand. I want people to understand like how they can develop using this data. Um, you know, what feedback they're getting, I'm assuming on their phone. Um, yep. Well, I know on their phone, I, I've looked it up, but uh, um, yeah, you know what that data is, you know, and, and how they can use that to their benefit. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's the, so the beginning of a whole new product category, right? So I think there's like new, new ways and to look at it uh, in general, but like from a really simple perspective and let's talk about it maybe from like a youth player and coach's perspective. Uh, let's start with some basic work grade stuff. So like you can wear it in a game and you can see that like the average distance for your team or even within a position is covered is X, right? Or, or you can look at it in terms of like work rate, in terms of like work work per minute. So those are sort of the basic demands of the game that now you can quantify. Well, how does your training plans match up relative to that? Is training more intense or less intense? Um, mm -hmm. Do you think on certain days, do you want it to be more intense or less intense? So you can gain some like, some basic benchmarks around some key metrics that I would look at would be, you know, sort of total distance and meters or yards per minute. So you have a little bit of volume and intensity and then same thing from the touches, like how many times are you getting on the ball in the game? Um, and then in practices and especially then for some coaches like relative within each other, there's always going to be better and worse players. Like, are you, are you providing enough opportunities for the players at the bottom of your roster to actually learn? Like that's one thing that I can see like within my group at the moment is a couple of players that I see potential in and I want to do right by them. But at the beginning of the, like the amount of just learning opportunities they were getting was sort of shocking to me, how few they were relative to the other players. So how can I actually like change the rules or change the design or the groups that I have in here to make it a little bit more for their, they're not as good now. They're never going to catch up if they don't. They're basically just getting the ball taken them off all the time when we do the 1v1s. How can I make the 1v1 a little bit more fair? Um, and then as a player within, you know, sort of that system, you know, if your team has it, you can look at yourself relative to others. So I think the fact that it's on left and right foot is really sort of unique. You can see sort of how one foot dominant you are as a player and increasingly um, being two footed, it's almost becoming a necessity like to play at the highest levels. Lefties can get away with it maybe a little bit more still. Some left sided players can get away with weak right foot, but not many people can get away with like not having and right footers can get away with not having a left foot. So that mm -hmm. usually stands out to people right away and is something you can measure and sort of track every day to to try and improve on. Um, some of the playing tempo stuff is interesting, like how long are you holding on to the ball? How much distance are you covering with the ball? At younger ages, I think, you know, you want to see that increase, like what the score of the game is, isn't necessarily super important, but like, do you have kids that are like covering ground with the ball and staying on the ball longer as opposed to just like kicking it away? Um, so I think with like a little bit of guidance, both that comes from like within the app and from coaches or parents, it, it opens an interesting discussion around other things to measure than just the score. You know, I can look at it and say like my, my goal in today's game is to, you know, make sure I have like, you know, 25 or more possessions as opposed to saying, I, I want to score a goal today or like I want our team to win. Um, just can I get on the ball a little bit more? You know what I mean? When I get on the ball, can it be moved from 90% on my right foot to, and then only 10% on my left and 20% on my left and 80% on my right. Uh, right. And maybe even more so in training where you have a little bit more control over some of that stuff. So, yeah, 
I think it's it's the beginning of what could be like a really there's never been a product like it that sort of measures like at an affordable price that works indoor that works outdoor that like measures technical performance in that way. The only data most of the time the data that pe- people are getting access to is has to come from video. It is all in the match. Whereas this also works in training. That's the other like really unique thing about it. Um, training video data doesn't really exist at an affordable price point for kids. And they're only getting they're only getting video uh, if it's being broken down from some of these companies like in matches. So, so yeah. you can pair it with video. Um, you can, you, yeah. You can do an yeah. export. Yeah, uh-huh. we have like especially at the college level where teams don't have the maybe have the resource to video practice but like don't have the resource to have somebody tag it like in the games they might have somebody tagging every this was a shot this was a pass this is attempting the entries they might send it away or get it breaking down so they get all that back very few college teams have the resources to have somebody break down practice video so they're more so just like then you jump in and it's like where do you as a player or coach like where do i start oh, i think we started this session at the 77 stuff at about 20 minutes in. So then I find it and then I watch it where with player maker, especially the players um, by exporting all their touches and like high intensity actions, they can just watch those clips. And so a lot of coaches like it because they've been, they take the time and effort to film the video and maybe they watch the video for the important parts. But you know, a lot of these platforms, you can actually track how many minutes the, the players watch video. And a lot of times it's not very much, but if yeah. you can, tell them like go to the video and you can just see all your touches at the push of a button you're just going to see the stuff that you did and it increases the engagement with the players whereas most kids kids are going to have to be pretty motivated to sit down and watch like 90 minutes of their own video and they don't even know sometimes it's on two different parts of the field and you might not even be on it so yeah yeah i mean all of our attention spans are shrinking so i know i know um so yeah uh so it could even be um well, there's a couple of questions I had coming out of that. Like it, it can be relevant to, you know, what position a kid plays. If you, if you're totally. sick, you know, and you want that person demanding the ball, like, you know, that's going to help you measure how much possession that player has. And, and then sure. like you establish a trend, you know, data wise over time that, you know, in this match you played really well and you had, so much possession or whatever and and however you're right. planning the data and then this one was really low so and you know we felt like you didn't play very well so obviously yeah you need to make yourself more available and get into certain spots so that's um that's really cool so um as a high school player and you know how could this data be presented you know in the recruiting process have you seen that being done yet or is that still for a sure and i think there's like massive massive opportunity for like young kids to as you would say like market themselves better um i think there's a couple like aspects to that the first thing is is like i would tell everybody is like take it like i sort of alluded to it earlier but like you got to get your ego out of it like it's not so much about and even from a playing perspective like okay i'm I'm a good attacking player. So like, and then therefore, like I measure my success as a, you know, 16 year old on how many goals and assists I get. Okay. Like good, but like college coaches aren't looking for ultimately every coach in the world is looking for better players. Like Pep Guardiola has a whole, they're spending millions of dollars right now. Like everybody thinks their team's so good. I can tell you right now he's has, they're spending probably tens of millions of dollars 
all things considered and all the technology, all the scouts they have, everything to find even better players than they have right now. Everybody's always looking for better players. And within that better player construct, everybody's looking for leaders and good teammates. Like it's, yes, some people get away with being so talented that they can sort of just focus on themselves. And I think most, especially with this whole European Academy player development, like that's been a good influence on the whole, but I think it also kind of results in players these days that like tend to think a lot about themselves and so much about the team, but really at the, at the college and pro level where coaches are getting paid to win, they want people who are thinking about the team and what you can, if you can realize as a young player is actually that if you start thinking about playing for the team, you're probably going to be a better player. I can almost guarantee that you'll become a better player. So as opposed to thinking about what is it that I'm good at? Like, did I do it well today? If you can start to think about like, how can I help the team win? And how can I help other people be better? It's sort of a rare trait. And when coaches find it, like they love it. Um, And so I think there's this sort of part of it. So then I think as that relates to, I think getting that right from the recruiting process is like an important base. So then when you start your sort of journey of like, what schools do I look for and how do I market myself to them that you're not coming at, coming at it from the perspective of like, I'm sort of so special that you should want me. It's more so like, here's what I can bring to the team. Um, It's not, I was all conference and I scored 10 goals, like flip it around to be like, like, I think, the fact that I was all conference is like proof, you know, in my role of captain that like I was a leader, you know, and we beat that we were only the fourth ranked team, but like we beat the first ranked team and like come at it from the perspective of like, what are you bringing to the team? We, you know, I can create, I have a proven ability to like to be able to create goal scoring, goal scoring opportunities for you, like both at club right. and this level, I've done this much in this many games. So like switch it as opposed to just talking about what you've done to like, how has what you've done in the past proof of that you can do something that they need in the future? And that's maybe the last part. So like start thinking about others, frame your communication always in like the value that you're bringing. And then the last part of it is like, be a bit more selective about who you talk to. Like, even if you're like an amazing player, that doesn't necessarily mean that like you're the right player for every team. And especially if you're more of like a, not somebody who's getting recruited by everybody, make sure you're not just sort of blindly following this year's rankings or your buddy or because the football team's good. Like if soccer is genuinely an important part of what you want to be your college experience, I think you need to take a look at a bunch of more detailed factors like what sort what style of play do they have how long has the coach been there like do they get a lot of transfers that are coming in do they have a lot of transfers that are going out like you know what conference are they in what how big is the field if you like to play in a possession like base game <clears throat> have you had a lot of injuries and like do they play on turf like sort of a list that's longer than i could like get into here but like can you really think about like where you're actually going to be a good fit so that then when you reach out to somebody as opposed to just being excuse me like i'm an odp player i was all state therefore that means i'm good and you should want me on your team you can come from a perspective that like i see that like you like to play you know you played a lot last year i've spoken to people that said you like to play a lot with you know with inverted wingers you know i'm a left-footed player that like loves to play on the right i've scored you know this many goals um 
that sort of communication is is sort of in my experience a little bit maybe it's increasing a bit more in recent years and people want to switch on like rare and like so appreciated like yes. when a college coach gets like it shows so much maturity and thought and gives you as a coach so much confidence that like this is a kid that I want on my team versus just like here's my highlight video like look how awesome I am yep yeah I've had dozens of coaches on here and they've all said like do your research you know, know who you're reaching out to and provide them with, you you know, different information than, you know, I, I saw that you won a game last night or something like that. Just, you know, something totally. that exactly. Like I see that. I, yeah. 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 I see that like you only have, you know, sort of like uh, one left back, you know, and he's graduating next year, um, you know, and I would love to come in and like compete for that position. Like, yeah. know what you're talking about. Um, and, and better to write 10 great, like recruiting letters that are well-researched and like 50 average ones and just hope for somebody to respond, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to get back to how player maker, how do you think that data could be used totally. when, you're, when you're reaching out to a college coach? Exactly. Like if you're wearing it over time, I think like being able to reflect and point, point back to those data, data points is like shows that maturity um if that makes sense you know so like as part of the communication i don't know if you could be like look um and also in conversation like it's one part to you got to sort of capture someone's attention be in an email but then also be ready when these phone calls come in you actually have a chance to like interact with coaches to talk it showing that you're have the ability and maturity to self-analyze and you know take on some information create a plan and like make it better I think that's where player maker can be awesome. So if you can be like, look, you know, I noticed that um, my top speed, you know, was quite a bit below. Like I thought I was pretty, I'm pretty quick, but like my top speed wasn't that good. And I noticed that, you know, both sort of anecdotally and then within player maker. And so I went and got a speed coach and like now my max velocity has increased X or whether it's my left foot or my right foot. So I think it's any of those metrics that we measure, like taking some ownership over areas of weakness and then, creating a plan that improves them and being able to objectively like show, you know, and even like, I mean, I don't know how many co- college coaches will or won't ask, ask for it. I think increasingly it's going to, because like data is becoming such a important part of like this sort of world we live in, but even just being able to tell the story of how like I'm serious about getting better as a player and I'm invested in this technology. I'm looking at the information, I'm making changes and I'm getting better is would be like amazing to hear from any player. Yeah, I mean, and just, you know, being vulnerable kind of in that in that area where you're saying, you know, totally. I recognize this as a as a, a a weakness in my game and, you know, I found this data through PlayerMaker and that's what I've been focused on improving. I mean, that yeah. that says mountains to to coaches that you're willing to totally. to be introspective and, and, and improve. That's a little bit the thing that I think that maybe um, some coaches out there don't realize or think about it with player maker is like with, like with the GPS vests, which I think are great. Uh, like, you know, I've worked for those companies in the past and I think they have a lot, a lot of value to add, especially at a certain level, like with a certain application, but it does a lot of it sort of like, it's only measures the physical stuff. And a lot of it sort of comes back to some sort of coach or something to interpret like the data. Mm-hmm. What I actually think is like amazing about player maker is that like, 
especially with kids, the younger kids, these kids, like I'm coaching a 2015 boys team. So these kids that are, you know, not eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, like I, I genuinely would like, I'd tell all the parents on my team to be getting their kid a player maker for Christmas. And even if I never looked at the data, the idea that now they are a going to be more excited about playing soccer, like this is cool. Like that generates in like a more effort and the, and the intensity usually results in like getting better. And then the sort of conversation, it opens up, even if it's just a conversation between the app and the individual player is so important. And you can preach right. to that. I don't ever have to look at the data. I can just be asking the question of the kids on my team. Like, what is it that you like are, are going to improve on? Sometimes that might come from the data. Sometimes it might not. But, you know, they say like what gets measured, what doesn't get measured, doesn't get managed and, and vice versa. I think it's like this really sort of unique starting point for a conversation around how do I get better as a soccer player that um, doesn't exist like without some data points um, and at an affordable price and that sort of works everywhere. I think starting that conversation early is really valuable. So like as a coach, I wouldn't think of it as like, oh, like a player, like another one of these sports tech companies that's going to like cost us money and I'm going to have a ton to like look at it. Like you don't have to look at it. Like the players can look at it and the players will benefit and the players will get better just by, by putting it on. Um, yeah. And if you do have time to look at it, then you can become better as a coach or if you want to prioritize making time time for it. Like there's tons of value there for coaches, but it's not it's like, unlike some other technologies, it's not coach dependent. It's very like the name. It's like, it's about the players. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's basically um, to, to simplify it. It's, you know, all these Fitbits, whoop straps, uh, Apple watches, they all have these metrics that measure what you're doing throughout the day. And this is basically yeah. that yeah. for a soccer player. Um, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, I got 10,000 steps today, but you know, for in the soccer world, it's what you said it is, you know, it's, it's just measurables that, you know, you can improve on each day. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah um, it, it's, Fantastic, um, and 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 now I understand what the difference is between the vest and you know right. my son plays in college. He wears the the sports bra every day, and yeah. you know, but this is totally different. Um, it, totally, it's, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk about the partnership with Man City. How what's that all about? Yeah, I mean that's before you know I'm new and I'm building out the team and like, hiring people, and um, so that is before my time, but it's like, so I wasn't involved in making that happen. But it was really cool. Um, and basically it was Manchester City looking at this new technology and saying, we sort of want to make this, you know, part of what we do in general. So like they they, have, they use it like at, the, at their own academy, but then they also went away and basically developed. And I think it's like 80 hours worth of content or something like that. Like it's a lot that, uh, that they've done. Um, now that sounds like too much, but like definitely like tens of hours of content that now exists if you buy our City Play app that they've, and they also did a big research project with the local university to sort of develop, okay, now you can measure this stuff, but what's the stuff that we think is important? And they've narrowed it down to a handful of metrics where you get like a spider web graph and can measure your progress in terms of like your first touch and your agility and your speed and your dribbling. Um, so they've created, gone taken it which is where we want to head for more so like what are you measuring to like okay now this put this data in a bit of a framework what's the stuff you should focus on where are you improving where are you not improving and also like some suggestions for improvement so if your dribbling score within the app is is not where you want it to be and you want to improve 
you can click on custom content from the Man City like coaches and players and watch some videos and, and get some tips on on how to improve. Um, so yeah, it's cool. And we want to do, cool. we don't want, that's not like an exclusive, like we're only going to do that once because it's Man City and they're sort of like the biggest team in the world. I think that there's, <clears throat> with leagues, um, with teams and also with players, partnerships like in the future are available. And also that sort of customizable interface for clubs we want to eventually bring. So like, you know, there's some big, cl- like I coach at Rush, you know, it's a massive conglomerate of clubs or there's there's other ones out there like Surf and, and even some local clubs that don't, like go national, you know, FC, I think has like over 10,000 players in it here locally, the Colorado Rapids youth stuff is, is massive like that. So at volume mm-hmm. like that, I think it makes sense for us to enter a partnership where Man City is sort of trying to spread the word externally, I guess you could say, and like grow sales and there's, you know, some, you know, some revenue motivation in there. But a big uh, or small club or a big club could use the app as a way to better their players and better their coaches and, and potentially customize that experience. So as opposed to seeing a player maker logo, when you go into it, the way city play has sort of branded it with the colors and the logos, and they can send different information into it. We eventually want to bring that partnership like model to the masses basically. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, what a great idea. Um, and so this just straps, like you said, it just straps on to the on the boots, and you just wear it through training. You can wear it in a game, um, and it doesn't really it doesn't interfere with touch or you know nobody's you know complaining about that or anything. So it's uh, no, it's I good mean, to go. in short, no. That's definitely like when I first saw the product before I was approached about the job, I was like, that looks kind of cool, but kind of weird. Like, who wants to put something on their foot? Um, <clears throat> And I've been really, so it was one of the first questions I asked, like during sort of the interview process. Um, And I don't think it's, um, in short, it's basically hasn't been as much of a problem. We wouldn't have grown as much as we are. Like right now, if you go on the website and try and buy a unit, like you can buy a unit, but like it's on back order because especially with some of like the discounts we did over the holidays, Black Black Friday and Cyber Monday, mm-hmm. like we sold an unprecedented number of units that the factory like, can't even keep up anymore. So you'll get your unit, but it's not going to get there in a week. Um, so I think it's, especially for young players, uh, it's not a problem. I think for some, as players get older, they get a little bit pickier. And if not functionally, like aesthetically, like I have these boots and they look a certain way and I don't want to sort of cover up this part of that part. But we have a bunch of, you know, Ajax, Benfica, you know, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, like the biggest clubs in the world are using this stuff. And it is going on some of the best players in the world too. And even if they're not wearing it every day, because we can measure some things that are really unique, even in terms of like, since it's on both feet, again, things like it's sort of brand new technology, measuring gait analysis and stride analysis and things like that. So if you have a Kevin De Bruyne right now, who's like coming back from injury and is worth, you know, potentially, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in the transfer market or lifetime value. Right. The trainers are telling him and he's saying like, no, this, I, I, no problem. Like I'll put this thing off. It's going to help me like return quicker. So we yeah. have pictures of, of big time players like that, that are using them. And it's not just for marketing, whether they're using in game all the time now, because we've just got a FIFA approval is sort of like yet to be determined, but there's plenty of, or during preseason, we have lots of like Premier League teams or elite teams where like everybody wears it in preseason, but maybe, maybe doesn't wear it in the game. 
So I don't know where exactly it'll head in terms of adoption at the elite level, like worn in game, but I've definitely been pleasantly surprised that people are not, there's not a form factor issue. It's not that like, oh, all these people are wearing it and saying it's like messing with their performance or it's uncomfortable. It's a thin silicone strap. So it goes on the outside of a, even the thin shoes today are relatively structured and like I've put it on and I think mm-hmm. most people say like, you don't even notice is like the end result. Right. Very cool. Um, did I miss anything, Nate? I don't think so. Oh, how, um, if someone orders them, if I, if I post this podcast, uh, today is the 6th of December. I post it, you know, in the next couple of days, can they get it by Christmas for their kids? Um, probably not. <laughs> it's gone that well um, that I think we're pushed. I think there's a notification on the website. <laughs> so I think it's about, a, it's usually just like about a one week lead time and it's turned to closer to two to three. So you'll be, you'll be cutting it close. Okay. Close though. I mean, they'll, uh, yeah. they'll still be able to wear it in January. Yes, for sure. You can still give them a, okay. uh, you can be the person who gives the envelope uh, with the picture of what it is. They'll still be excited. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, anything else? Um, I'm trying to think. What I um, We'll be at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Uh, I think my AirPods might have just thrown. I got you. Hold on. Um, I got to hit we'll the, the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Uh-huh. Um, so I'd love to, yeah, if you're interested in swinging by. Um, we're hiring as well. Like the team's growing quickly. I sort of briefly mentioned that, but like check out LinkedIn for open roles that we have. We're looking for for good people, particularly good people in Denver, because that's where the offices, that's where I'm based and that's where the offices are open up. Um, but no, besides that, I think we sort of, yeah, covered most of it. Okay. okay. Very cool. Very cool. Um, um, I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, let me hit stop. Let me hit and stop. We'll talk first. We'll okay. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on Matchplay. Playrecruit.com for our social media links. See you on the trail.